Would you please uh, join me in a word of prayer? Lord, I'm grateful for your word, and I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come and move among us, open our hearts to receive your truth, and as the preacher, I ask for your help, that I would be clear and faithful to your word. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. So printed in your service leaflet is actually the memory verse for each week. And this week's memory verse is not from the reading that I'm going to preach on, and I'll explain later why I picked this particular memory verse, but as we've been doing throughout this Proverbs series, um, we real quickly cram the new memory verse, and then we try and recite it back, and then it's printed in the bulletin, so hopefully you'll take the bulletin with you home and look at it several times throughout the week and see if you can recall the verse. They're, they're not long verses, so um, the one for this week uh, is this one from Proverbs 19, and we're going to say this together, uh, including the reference, and then we'll, we'll take it away and see if we can say it from memory. So let's say this together. Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deed. Proverbs 19, 17. All right, look at it for one second. Whatever you're missing, make sure you got it. Okay, take it away. Ready? Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deed. Proverbs 19, 17. Well done. Yeah, it's hard to, like, is it for his deed or deeds? It's the, little, it's the little details we have to work on to get it right. But well done. I'll come back to why I picked that as our memory verse um, at the end of this sermon. But let me paint the picture for you of one of Jesus' teaching locations that's a little different. Jesus, the master teacher, took his disciples into all kinds of locations, whether it was out in a pasture where there were sheep, or in a vineyard where there were vines growing, or in the temple where there was a huge edifice. He used wherever he was as a teaching opportunity. And in the Gospels, there's an example where he goes into the temple where there was a collection box. The Jews would bring their offerings to the Lord, and they would place them in this collection box. And Jesus just posted up right there with his disciples and watched everyone giving their offering and then talked about it with his, with his disciples. Think about how odd that would be. And right now, we're not passing the offering plate during church because of COVID, so it's back there on the baptismal font. Think about how odd that would be if Luke and B.E. were like, hey, okay, come on, let's stand back here. And let's just watch as people come in, and they're just talking like this. As, oh, look at that, Jordan put, oh, yeah. And can, can you imagine what that would be like? To us, that seems crazy, but to Jesus, it was normal because money was such a big topic. It was so important. It needed to be addressed, and he, they, he didn't hide from that topic. And he pointed out that some people put in large sums of money, but then a widow puts in two little coins, and he says, she's given more than all the rest because she gave out of her need. That was all she had to live on. They've given out of their abundance. So her sacrifice was much bigger, and he made a teaching point about giving and about money and about possessions for his disciples there. Now, we hide the topic of money. We, in this culture, we'll talk about sex, we'll talk about death, we'll talk about politics, but we don't talk about personal money. I mean, we'll talk about the economy and we'll complain about government or business, we'll talk about the price of lumber, all that sort of stuff. But when it comes to our wallet, we don't wanna talk about how much we make, how much we spend, how much we save, how much we give, we go to a restaurant and we kind of, we get the check and we fill in the tip like this and then casually turn it over and put the pen on it. it Maybe because we're bad at math and we don't want that to be known, but we, we want to be discreet. Or if we gave a really good tip, we like 
let it be seen. But to get really into our business about money, that's off topic. We don't go there. We, we're just uncomfortable about it. Now, as a pastor for many years, people come to me with confessions about all sorts of things. And God gives me wisdom, and I pray with them, and, you know, they, they get the freedom that comes from confession. Do you know how infrequently someone has come to me and said, you know, I need to confess. I've got, I've got a, a greed problem, and I've spent all this money on something that I shouldn't have done, and I've messed up my household, and now I'm in debt, and I, I need the church's forgiveness and God's forgiveness. I never hear that confession. All kinds of other ones, I never hear that one. Why is that? Well, it's because money has a power behind it. It's not neutral. It's a spiritual force in your life. And we like to think that it's neutral, and then we recognize these behaviors. We recognize there's a lot more going on with, with wealth and resources than we seem to think. And Jesus knew this. So it was the number one biggest topic, if you go through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Money is the, to- the biggest and most frequent topic that Jesus talks about, second to only the kingdom of God in general. So he talked about the kingdom of God, but his number two topic specifically was money, possession, possessions, and how to handle resources. Because he knows this is so important for us. In fact, he said, you cannot serve God and mammon. Mammon is a, uh, a phrase to refer to all of your possessions, not just like your dollars and, and cents, but all of your possessions. And he personified it, like as if it's a god. You cannot serve God and serve mammon, because it's like a god. It has all the traits of a god, and people worship it, and it gets control of their heart, and um, it has to be renounced. For God to be God, money has to be put in its right place. And so Jesus taught about this. Now, I want to start with this question. Have you thought about money lately? And I don't mean the economy, and I don't mean, you know, that kind of stuff. I mean, have you thought about the amount of resources in your household and how you're managing them? Have you looked at your budget lately? Have you decided whether or not you're spending the way you want to be spending? Just think about that. Our text today is Proverbs 11. Um, It it was originally just going to be verses 24 and 25 when I set the sermon series up months ago. Um, And then when I dug in this week, I realized, thank you, Lisa, for reading the extra verses that she wasn't prepared to read. Um, I realized that all five verses form an inclusio, and that's a literary technique in both the Old and New Testament where the author will have, let's say, in this case, it's five verses, and the first verse and the fifth verse are related, and then the second, like a staircase, the second and the fourth verse are related, and then the, the center verse, the third one, is the one that the author wants to highlight. It's called an inclusio, and it's in a number of places in the Bible. And so the first verse is verse 23, If you want a pew Bible, it's page 535. So verse 23 talks about desire, the desire to do good or to do evil. And that's the same thing that verse 27 talks about. So 23 and 27 talk about the desire to do good or the desire to do evil. And then you step up a step, and verse 24 and verse 26 talk about giving versus withholding. And then in the centerpiece is verse 25, which says this, whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and one who waters will himself be watered. And the author here, wise Solomon, wanted us to focus in on that. The one who brings blessing will be enriched, and the one who waters will be watered. And when I look this up in the Hebrew, um, it's only three words. The first first half of that, uh, whoever brings blessing will be enriched, is actually three Hebrew words. And 
basically it's the word soul, blesser, and this is, this is what I really like, fat-soaked, fat-saturated. Now, you think saturated fat, this is bad, right? We're all about lean proteins and all this kind of stuff. But to this culture, when this was written, fat was a, uh, a luxury that only the wealthy could afford, and it was very rare to get, like, a steak with fat marbles in it, um, burning on fire and smelling so good. And, you know, here, our heart doctor's going, bad, bad, cholesterol, you know, you don't need that. But for them, it was a sign of wealth and luxury and abundance. And so the soul of the person who is blessing others will be given this abundance. And ESV does an okay job, and they say it will be enriched. But I just thought you should get the graphic Hebrew word behind it. will be fat-soaked. You'll be drenched in the abundance of fat. I just thought it was so helpful. But the soul who blesses will be enriched, and that's, that's okay. Now, here's my main point today. We serve a generous God who rewards generosity. And the minute I say that, I have to pause and say, wait, I've got to give a but. And the but is this. People have taken verses like this one, and they built an entire theology of prosperity that even has numerical things, like give 10% of your income to God, and you get 100-fold in this life, or seven times more, or if you give your life to Jesus, you'll get rich. And there's actually churches and religious leaders that teach this, and it's completely imbalanced. And so it's a text like this that is not balanced with the rest of Scripture that leads people to think that. But I don't want us also to swing the pendulum so far on the other side that we miss the fact that God is a blesser. He is generous, and he blesses us. with he, He's generous to us, and when we are generous with others, he then gives us even more so we can be more generous with others. That's how it works. With your, when you're faithful with a little, you'll be entrusted with more, to care for more people, not just for yourself. So we have a generous God who rewards generosity. Now, verse 24 says this, one gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Now, remember, Proverbs are not absolutes. It's not like the law of gravity that is always the same when you drop something. It always is falling at the same acceleration. It's different. These are general observations about what happens in the world. Wise King Solomon looked out on society, and he started to notice, huh, those people over there, they give things away to people that are in need, and they never seem to have a lack, and they're joyful, and they keep having an abundance. These people over here that should be giving are not, and they're always wanting. They're always lacking. And so he makes this proverb, and he says, one gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Again, it's not absolute. There are examples that are contrary to that. However, the point here is that there is something behind the giving that causes the blessing to come, and it's the Lord. The Lord is the one. He's pleased with the generous person, and so he keeps providing for them so they can continue to be generous. Now, how are they richer? How is the one who waters receiving watering? What does that actually look like? Well, first of all, if you give away resources to somebody or something that has a need, you are breaking the control of money in your heart. You are getting rich in freedom, which on a weekend when we celebrate freedom, it's helpful to think about freedom in lots of different perspectives. To be free from the control of money, 
That's what happens when we start giving. We start to experience freedom. That's a blessing we're receiving. We also have thankful recipients. If it's something where they know that we're, we're being generous with them, they're grateful for us and they express gratitude. We become rich in gratitude. We're receiving their thanks. Not that you want to do it just for that, but it's part of the deal. You get the joy of giving, just the joy of blessing people. It actually is better to give than to receive, said Jesus, or at least Paul quoted Jesus as saying that. If you look Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you won't find that because it's in Acts, when, or it's in Paul's writing where he says, as Jesus said, it's better to give than to receive if you go looking for that. But Jesus did say it. And then you're also participating in the kingdom. You're using resources that God has entrusted to you to see kingdom things happen that wouldn't happen if you weren't generous. And let me give you an example. I asked the last service to raise their hand if they've been blessed by any event that happened in or around the barn, the building in the back of our parking lot. I'll ask the same of you. If you've been blessed by being in the barn or some ministry event or soul in the city or something, just raise your hand. That's like half of you. And eight years ago or whatever it was, that building didn't exist. And we had a vision to invest in the next generation and create a place where students could hear the gospel and we house Young Life in there and we house Kids First of Florida and there's, a, uh, there's an adult painting group that meets in there. There's all kinds of community stuff happening there. And now these food truck Fridays, there are bathrooms. We had a vision for serving and we needed to bring money to make it happen and then it happened. We participated in a kingdom thing. We got resources where kingdom stuff could happen. And that's a gift to us. And then, of course, Jesus says, you're storing up treasures in heaven, but we don't really know what that is like, so we'll have to wait to find out what that one's like. We know it's there, but we just don't know really what that means experientially. And then here's the other thing. We actually get more to invest. I mean, physically things. God will give you resources when he sees that you're a generous person so you can direct even more into kingdom stuff. Again, he who's faithful with a little will be entrusted with a lot. That's a biblical principle. Now, the other side of this is how is a person poorer? Well, there's fear of diminishing that will happen. There's a self-centeredness around hoarding and keeping my stuff, and I, I don't want people near it. I don't want them to see that I have it, and it causes isolation. There's missed kingdom opportunities where stuff could happen that doesn't. And then there's just the feeling of guilt that I should be doing more and I'm not. You know, this past week, Ellie and I rode our bikes uh, from Pittsburgh to Washington, D.C. on one of those rail trail converted things and camped along the way, and we basically went right down the Steel Valley, where industry was huge in Pittsburgh, the Industrial Revolution, all that, and there are relics of these big steel mills, and it was just cool to go back to my hometown and see that stuff, but it got me thinking about Carnegie, Andrew Carnegie, you know, one of those big industrial giants. Carnegie Mellon University's there, there's all these Carnegie libraries, and if you Google Andrew Carnegie letter to himself and read what he wrote. When he was 33 years old, he wrote a note to himself, and I'm paraphrasing, but you could go read it. He wrote a note to himself saying, all this attention to business and making money is detrimental to my soul. I can't carry on doing this for long. I'm going to do it for two more years, and when I'm 35, I'm going to pull out of the business and stop. It'll be enough for me to live on, and then I'll save my soul. You know what happened when he turned 35? He just kept plowing right along, making more money and more stuff and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And then towards the end of his life, he started becoming more interested in, in giving and philanthropy and put all these libraries in place. And some of the workers said, on behalf of the group of workers, said, we didn't want libraries. We wanted better pay. 
and we wanted better work hours. We were working six days in a row, 12-hour shifts with one measly day off for low pay. See what happens? It's, it, money has this power, and it causes people to become impoverished even when they're not, and they miss opportunities. So why, why would they withhold? In verse 24, why would one who should give withhold? See, now what we're doing is we're going into the below the surface issues, and we're going down into the deeper root issues of the human heart. These are things like fear of scarcity or um, coveting what somebody else has or greed, just wanting more, or even shame. Um, I was reading Richard Foster's book on, on uh, it's called Money, Sex, and Power, The Big Three, and he cited a, a psychologist who was counseling a very wealthy patient. And he said, what are you going to do? The, the psychologist said to the patient, what on earth are you going to do with all this money? And kind of flippantly he said, I don't know, uh, just worry about it, I suppose. And then the doctor said to him, um, let me get the quote right. He said, uh, do you, well, do you get that much pleasure out of worrying about it? And the patient responded, no, but I get such terror when I think of giving some of it to somebody. Terror. This is a really rich person, and he's gripped with fear of giving any of it away. That's an emotional thing. It's a root issue down deep. Or, you know, there's, there's coveting, and I can't get past the song of Madame Blueberry from the Veggie Tales from when our kids were little. If you know Madame Blueberry, she's like this French blueberry, and, and she's filled with coveting. And she says, my, she sings, my neighbors have nice things. I've seen them myself. In fact, I keep pictures up here on the shelf. And when you look in her house where all the family pictures should be, there's just pictures of her neighbors with like boats and nice stuff. And, and she just looks at those pictures coveting. That's her whole existence. And she sings about it. It's awful, but it's really well done by the Veggie Tales. And she goes to Stuff Mart, not Walmart, to get more stuff that she doesn't need. See, there's root issues going on here that, that affect our attitude toward money. What are yours? Are you in touch with them? If you're going to become more generous, you're going to have to deal with it. You're going to have to think about it. You're going to have to go deeper into what drives my perspective on wealth. Is it fear? Is it greed? Is it coveting? What is it? I just made a little list of root issues. I, I've got, I don't know, a few of them here. We could probably spend hours doing this, or I could ask you to write them down if you know them. But let me, let me just read you a couple I made up, and maybe one is yours. You're gripped by fear because you've experienced a job loss in the past. Or you're gripped by fear because of a childhood experience where you didn't actually have enough, and you resolved the rest of your life, I'm always going to have more. Or you're focused on your future retirement so much that all you can think of is getting enough in your 401k. So much so you can't even live in the present. You're total in the present. You're totally in the future. Or coveting things like Madame Blueberry. You just you see stuff you don't have and that's all you can think about. Or you're enslaved to a lifestyle that's actually beyond your means from decisions you made yesteryear. You bought something, you financed something, you you overextended yourself and now you're stuck and you don't know how to get out of it. You're living in comfort but with no giving plan. You live within your means, but you're not accounting for anything. You're just kind of lazy about it. And so you're squandering stuff, and you have no plan. Or you feel guilty because God has actually blessed you, and you can't receive his blessing. Or you feel smug because God has blessed you. And that was a primary biblical problem. You see, the teaching 
that people understood was that God blesses his people. And they assumed that if you were rich, God had blessed you. And the corollary was awful. They assumed that if you were experiencing poverty, it was because of some sin that God was cursing you. Neither of which is a guarantee. You can be very poor and completely pleasing God, and you can be very rich and not at all in God's favor. And people misunderstood this. So here's the thing. We got these root issues, but we have a generous God who rewards generosity and he wants us to become generous. And you can't just willpower supplant those root issues. You've got to identify them, but then you have to have something else that takes their place. And so this is where I jump to something the Apostle Paul said to the church in Corinth when they were starting to get weak in their gifts for the poor. They had started a good start, and then they backed off a bit, and he kind of nudged them. He didn't exercise apostolic authority and make them give, but he kind of nudged them, and he said this. He said, first, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. You see, conversion from money to God is connected to the message of the gospel. And that's why the reformer Martin Luther said, you actually need three conversions. You need a conversion of the heart, you need a conversion of the mind, and you need a conversion of the purse. Your money has to come under submission to God. God has to become first. So Zacchaeus, the short guy that climbed in the sycamore tree, when Jesus welcomed him and then Jesus honored him by going into his house, he stood up with great joy and said, Lord, behold, I give half of my goods to the poor, and anyone I've defrauded, I'll pay them back four times. And Jesus said, today salvation has come to this house. But so often in the church, we think, I say a sinner's prayer, I become a Christian, I start reading the Bible, I go to church some, and the last thing to learn is how to tithe, how to be generous, how to give into God's kingdom. My predecessor, John Schuler illustrated this in a sermon one time that I will never forget. He pulled his wallet out of his back pocket and he said, we go down into the Jordan River like this. And it's totally right. It's totally right. The last part of us to be sanctified is our finances. And in Zacchaeus's case, it was the first thing. He knew he had to get sorted between God or mammon and he couldn't worship money anymore. So he just gave half of it away and he made right where he could and Jesus said, today salvation has come. We serve a generous God who rewards our generosity. And I want you to know that this is not something you're going to fix quickly. Generosity grows over time. And so I want to invite you to ask the Lord, what specific thing would you like me to be more generous with? And then resolve to do it. One of our former vestry members told me years ago in one of the capital campaigns we did that he made a three-year commitment to give money to the, something the church was doing, and he had not been a tither before. And he said, when the end of the three years came up, I realized that God had blessed me so much, I didn't really miss the money, and I did not want to stop giving to the Lord. So he became a tither from that point forward, and even more so. And generosity grew. It was the experience of giving a little bit and seeing what happened that made him think, I'm committed for life. I'm, I'm going to always give to God. And so generosity begets generosity. It grows. So knowing that God is generous, ask him where and how he would like you to grow in generosity. And just start, even a little bit. Just start. And go back over your budget with this proverb in mind. And then, and then finally, make sure the poor are a priority. Because I don't know all the places God wants you to be generous, but I do know he wants you to be generous with the poor.
which is why I picked the memory verse that we did. So it's whoever gives to the poor is actually lending to God. That's what the proverb says. I love that because God is so um, aligned with the marginalized and the destitute and the poor. He wants his church to have compassion like he does for those people and provide for them. So make sure that the poor are a priority of yours. Now we're going to sing a sermon response song to kind of reflect on this, and I'm going to say a prayer, and, um, and I invite you to bow your, your hearts with me in that prayer. Uh, Lord, even I confess that the topic of money is such a difficult one. It gets confusing, and there's so much power around it. But Lord, I want to be generous. I want our church to be generous. I pray for each one of us that you would show us one place where we can grow in generosity. And I pray that you would help us trust you. Lord, reveal to us our hearts and those deeper root issues that keep us from being generous so we can give them over to you and be healed. I ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.